in-laws here, and I've realized something. Something about your peer group just really seems to have it in for you. And um, I was just encouraged by one of those members, you know, just what an opportunity to preach, you know, and preach to my father-in-law. You know, how the, the turns have tabled, you know. Um, see, uh, you know, it used to be back in the day when I went on my first date, my father-in-law, he tried to be fairly intimidating, was still trying to process how that actually worked out for him. But anyway, got back on my first date and kind of had this Hawaiian shirt that maybe not, maybe some of the buttons might not have been all connected. Had a pistol and he was just kind of letting somebody know who's boss around here. And uh, just, I didn't know if he'd ever imagine that that would come across a pulpit. I just... Uh, he just didn't have that foresight. But uh, anyway, it's good to have you guys here. Oh, man, what a privilege it is to be here. I, I honestly felt such a, a struggle yesterday, just almost feeling very dry. And, and is, is, a, is a word going to come? Is a message going to come? Just like almost struggling with doubt. And And I, and I believe it came, and I'm just so excited to see what God has. And it's nothing about me, because really if we look at who I am, um, everything would be a disaster. But there's something that happens so amazing when God works through us as vessels. That, that it's such a privilege just to journey and be part of what God is doing. And so I'm excited for that here this morning. So this has been something that has kind of been on my mind, more topical. So we've, we're talking about exposing the word of God the last time I preached. And this comes to us, by the way, of more of a topic, but I, I hope we can still expose the Word of God. What is it teaching us? What is it showing us? Uh, because I think there's certain things, the aspects that we're going to dive into that our culture keeps trending and tending towards these ways. And if we're not careful, if we're not aware, those things can seep into our churches. They can seep into our families and our in communities without us even being fully aware so before we dive into the message, uh, for the visitors here, every time that, we pr that I preach, we have a prayer time because we are committed to praying for a people group that does not yet have the Word of God. And we are going to pray and pray and pray, even if it's 10 years until I can sometimes stand here and hold that translation in my hand. And I will want to, thinking about this, give you a little bit of an update eventually at some point on that project. But we are working together to pray. We are praying for Israel. And we're praying for revival in our own nation because, well, we need it. And it is election year. So let's just stand and we pray out loud together for these things.
God, thank you so much. Open our hearts, open my heart to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, so as we look at this whole thing of pain and suffering, it feels like this is a very hard topic to talk about because I've experienced pain, I've experienced suffering, but maybe not to the level that you've experienced pain or suffering. And so it's like, how can I be up here speaking into that when I can't identify with the exact pain or suffering that you have? But that's the one beautiful thing about Scripture. It's the one beautiful thing about who Christ is, that he is the common ground for that, for our suffering and our pain and the things that we have to walk through. What are the things that could cause a pain and suffering? Maybe a guilt-ridden past, unfulfilled or lacking direction. You just, you don't feel fulfilled with where you are. Low self-esteem, family, church, conflict, unmet expectations, loneliness, financial pressure, rejection, physical and emotional abuse, relocation, having to go to a different place, loss of a loved one, broken relationships. These are all things, and I'm sure the list goes on and on, that there are things all around us that can cause us pain, can cause us to suffer. I want to look at a few stories, just glancing. There's so many. Scripture is is filled with people having pain and filled with suffering. I just want to take a look at Jacob, Jacob's hip. What is going on there with that? I just glimpsed at this. So Jacob, he was left alone. And you can find this in Genesis 32, verses 22 through 32. I'm not going to take the time to read through it. I'm just going to highlight some of the points. He was left alone. He wrestles with God. Jacob's hip is then eventually put out of joint. Jacob says he's not going to let go until he is blessed. And that is where he says, you're no longer Jacob anymore. I have changed you. But his hip, in the last part, I think in 32, it says, he suffered that hip injury and he went away limping. From that experience, he had an element of pain. Now, maybe the dislocation, it doesn't say that the dislocation was painful, but the very fact that he had to go away limping meant something was a little off, something was out of joint. That was a physical aspect of maybe some suffering or pain or reminder. Joseph's betrayal, some highlights there. Joseph seeks his brothers when he's going out to find them. And this is coming from Genesis 37, 12 through 28. His brothers then plot to kill him. But instead, he's spared being killed, but is then sold. In this instance here, Joseph suffers from betrayal and separation from family. 
we look at an example in the New Testament. Paul's thorn. What is this? This is probably not a literal thorn in his flesh. This is an emotional thorn. This is something that is there that's hindering him. But in this passage, he says, I only boast in weakness. Paul is kept from becoming conceited. And he was able to do that because he was given a thorn in his flesh. He called out three times for this thorn to be taken away. But I'm going to actually look at what it says here because this is, this is really foundational here. I'm going to pick up in verse 6. Though if I should wish to boast, I would be, not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Christ's grace is sufficient. Paul suffers a thorn that God does not take away from him. And as we look, you could see example. We didn't even talk about Job. There's so many different examples in the scriptures of, of men, of, of women that have experienced pain and suffering. What do we do with this? 1 Peter 2, 1-2 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad with his glory, when his glory is revealed. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Hebrews 12.11, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. James 1.2-4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 1 Peter 5.10 And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 1 Peter 2 one through two says, So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. I think we're starting to get at something here because when a brother or sister in the church is suffering, it doesn't often work too well to just say, Oh, just leave it at the foot of the cross or God's got this you know 
all those, those things are true. Just throwing that at somebody in their face isn't going to really help them work through how do you put it at the foot of the cross? Why should I put it at the foot of the cross? Why should I believe that God has got this? So this is the question. And I don't want to make this sound like that this is a works by salvation. Is it possible that pain and suffering is what leads us to grow in salvation? Let's look at that last part of 1 Peter. It says that by it you may grow up into salvation. So I ask, is it possible that pain and suffering is what leads us to grow in our salvation, in our realization of salvation? It's just, I think it's a lot like, use the picture of marriage. I've been married for over eight years. Does the fact that I'm married now make me any more married than the day that I said my vows? No. I am just as married now, and I was just as married then. But, here is what I think kind of correlates to the whole salvation, is because I was not any more saved now than when I committed myself to Christ. But eight years has a way of just kind of teaching you something about marriage. It has a way of working, you're working towards this common goal, it took Sherry and I so long to work out our differences, though, like those first few, like that year. It just, we worked them out, but it took a long time. But we got better. We got better at it. We got, um, I don't, I wouldn't say efficiency, because we still had something that we had to work through just a couple days ago. Um, but if that would have been the first year, it might have taken a whole week where it just took one evening to work through that. So, so in that same way I think we can look at our salvation that there may be things within us that are ugly that are nasty at our point of salvation but as we grow and as we mature we learn more more of the salvation that is available to us gets more and more revealed as we grow and grow into it and this is what I'm here to say that I think Pain and suffering plays a huge part in this because if we don't have pain and we don't have suffering, then I think it's just a lot more difficult to see how we can grow in salvation. So let's look at Jesus' time in the garden when he prays on the Mount of Olives. And I'm going to go there to Luke's account in chapter 22. Uh, 22, 39 and through 46. And he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, and he strengthened him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So here, everything that I'm sharing is just been foundational. It's been scripture. We're going to start moving a little bit more into the practical things of, of what this looks like. How, how do we actually, why do we care about pain and suffering and how we are affected by it? So here's a question. There's lots of questions today, probably more than answers. I was really struck by that fact that the angel came down and strengthened Jesus. But in the very next line it says that he is in so much agony, agony that he had to pray even more earnestly. And the question that I have here is could enough visits from angels completely have taken away the agony and pain that Jesus felt? Or another question, if the disciples could have stayed awake and prayed with Jesus, could they have taken away Jesus' suffering? No. It doesn't matter how perfectly somebody walks with you through something. It doesn't matter. There's still that pain and suffering that is going to be somewhat of a sting that's going to make you feel that you're experiencing something. It's going to cause you to think that you're lonely when maybe you actually are not. But there's no amount of his disciples or an angel, angel ministering to Jesus that could have taken away the fact that he had to go to the cross and suffer and die for our sins. Isaiah 53, 3 through 7. I'm just going to highlight this. He was despised and rejected. This was prophesied about the Lamb. He was acquainted with grief. He was pierced for our transgressions. With his wounds, we are healed. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He was led to the slaughter. And yet, he opened not his mouth. So, let's dive even deeper. Pain and suffering. 
What is the call and purpose of this message? Even if in complete perfectness, someone is there for you when you experience a hip dislocation, betrayal by family, a thorn in your flesh, you will still need to grow into salvation. You will still feel the sting of agony. And we so often get mixed up that when we're in those places of loneliness, that we feel that nobody's walking through, with me through this pain or this suffering. And we forget that we shift our focus over here and being, I feel so lonely, versus shifting our focus over here and saying, wow, show me your salvation. Show me, reveal more of who you are. I think this, I think we are susceptible to this way more than we want to give ourselves credit to. That we want to think, that, that we think that we are all alone. But we forget that when we have painful experiences, there's no way to get rid of that pain. We have to walk through it. I remember when we moved back from overseas eight years ago. I just remember how hard it was to transition, be established in a new community. And it didn't matter if you as a church would have perfectly walked with us through that. It wouldn't have changed how hard it was to leave Thailand, how hard it was to readjust. It's just part of the journey. It's just part of us growing and maturing. And I don't say this to dismiss us from walking with each other. No, I think it's more of a call to walk with each other. It's more of a calling to, to help carry each other's burdens. But I, I think we buy into the lie way too often that we are feeling lonely when we actually are not. We're actually experiencing pain. We're experiencing suffering. So this is what I'm calling to us. Mount Zion, house of prayer, this is how we act. We do not see ourselves as the victim. We don't open our mouth to defend ourselves as the victim following Christ's example. We defend truth. We defend truth hard and fast, but we don't defend ourselves when we feel victimized. This is how we act. When pain comes, we trust that God's grace is all-sufficient. Because if you don't believe God's grace is all-sufficient, then you're believing a lie because it is all-sufficient. We here at Mount Zion hold on to the belief that we 
we are not victims. Victims. Let me read that again. We hold not to the belief that we are victims. Mount Zion, this is how we act. When suffering comes, we believe our mouth will rejoice rather than self-defend. If you've had something that you've went through and you literally had had no one to help you go through it, did that mean God just forgot about you? Or did He know that you were there? Can you believe that if only one way for you to have gotten through something is with people, then God would have been more than faithful to send people at just the right time? You believe that if you had to walk through something completely alone, that he was actually extending you the grace to do that? Because I believe that if you need somebody to walk through something, God is more than faithful, more than gracious to provide that. And we have to stop believing the lies that it's not. Because it just shows our unbelief. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Do you want to live a life that has no shame? that has no regrets, that you don't have to feel that guilt-ridden past, or all of those things in that list that we talked to at the beginning. If you want to feel no shame, I think there's a road map. Rejoice in our sufferings. know what it does. Suffering just doesn't point to then having no shame, but it's a process. It builds endurance, and then the endurance builds character, and then character produces hope, and hope. You just want to be around people that are filled with hope, right? It's no fun to be around those people that are not rejoicing in their suffering, that feel shameful. It's just so much more life-giving to be around people that are filled with hope. There's a way to be there. So how do we act? Let's say this statement together. Reading from the bold, we're going to go and say, Together, Mount Zion, this is how we act and read the statement. All together. Mount Zion, this is how we act. When pain comes, we trust that God's grace is all sufficient. We hold not to the belief that we are victims. Mount Zion, this is how we act. When suffering comes, we believe our mouths will rejoice rather than than self-defend. We start from a place of pain and suffering. We realize this is how we are to act. 
We are not to act as victims. We are to rejoice in the sufferings, in the pain. Does it mean that we self-inflict ourselves? No. I think there's plenty of that to go around without trying to make yourself suffer. This is how we act. We don't act as victims. And, and just thinking about that, if we self-inflict ourselves with pain and suffering, I think that's almost pointing more to seeing, oh, I'm just a victim. Can you think of this? How does this apply to maybe conflicts you feel, maybe in church or family or friends? Or maybe how you're grieving the loss of a loved one. Or maybe anything that causes that pain and suffering. Rejoice, O people, and you shall have no shame. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for opening your word God, it'd just be so exciting to be a group here at Mount Zion that, that stops thinking as individuals and starts thinking as we, starts thinking as us. And that this is a day that we can drive a stake in the ground and say, we will not succumb to being victims. We will not succumb be so easily distracted that we start defending our own rights, our own, whatever it may be, we fill in the blank. But this church here at Mount Zion, we stand for truth. We stand for righteousness. We stand together so that when any one of us experiences pain or suffering, that we can help guide each other to realizing more and more of how incredible your salvation refines us, cleanses us. Thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.